Today, we'll be discussing the accomplishments and the career of Jay Leno. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Now, currently, Jay Leno is at home recovering from his recent burn injury. So we'll discuss today his career and his accomplishments. And today, you know, given the situation with Jay Leno, why don't we flip things around? Jay's accident was actually quite serious, pretty recent. I think that would be on top of people's minds. So let's start by talking about the condition that he's in, Asif. And why are you making a stink face, by the way? That's not true. You guys can't see that. No. Yeah, no, I was just thinking what we should do. Yeah, that makes sense. Why don't we talk about what happened with him and we'll talk about any questions you have about burns and how to treat them. And then we'll go over to his life and career. Sound good? Yeah. And, and I think it's also great. I mean, we should mention that he's at home. Thankfully, he is recovering. If he was in critical condition, I don't think we would be talking about this. But that's not to say that his burns are not serious, right? No. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about what happened. It's actually a bit unclear what exactly occurred. Especially since you and I know nothing about cars. So even if it was made clear, we would really not be able to... Let's keep it simple, everybody. One of his employees, whose name is George Swift, I have no idea who this person is or what they do for Mr. Leno, but he- Mr. Leno. I think we should call him that for that one sentence. And then for Access, he was on Access Hollywood, he being George Swift. And he, he said that Leno was sprayed by gas that then caught fire while working on a steam car. So- we won't have to go too much into this, but those of you who don't know, Jay Leno has a huge car collection, over 200 cars, one of the biggest classic car collections in probably the world. It's what he's well known for, even amongst celebrities. He has a very impressive collection. So I don't even know what a steam car is, but that's what he was working on, apparently. And when you read what the doctor said, so he was taken to one of the best burn units in America, in Los Angeles, and so he was treated there. They said he had significant second and third degree burns on his face, chest, and hands. They required some excision and some other treatments that were needed. And he was in the hospital for about a week or so. And then, as you said, Ali recently discharged. And we can post these pictures. It's, you know, him with the nurses and other caregivers at the hospital, like on his way out. Like he's dressed in street clothes. He's about to leave. If you look carefully, you can see that he's had some, I'm not sure if they're skin grafts or, or some residual scarring, but it's from the picture relatively minor. So, which is definitely good for him. Mm -hmm. I know from my cooking experience, you know, steam is no joke. I remember when I was starting to use a pressure cooker, one of my dad's buddy, my uncle, basically, who was a chef was like, steam is no joke. Remember that steam is what moves trains. So just be very careful. And I was like, steam moves trains? That's how little I know about technology. I mean, I was always, by the way, extremely concerned about using a pressure cooker. I always thought it was going to explode, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm concerned when you use a, a small frying pan. So pressure cooker, I think you in particular should just stay away from. Fair yeah. Enough. There's no reason to start new things at your age. Okay. So let's talk about, I think I'm going to say that probably many people like myself feel like they understand degrees of burns, but do we really? 
first of all, how common are burns? And then let's talk about those different, you know, first, second, and third degree burns and what they mean. Yeah, and burns are quite common. They're the fourth most common cause of trauma worldwide. Mm. Are you going to, do you know the first three? We don't, we don't have to go into the first three, Asif, but I'm sure one of them is banana peels and uh, no? Anyway, the worldwide incidence is about one per 100,000 people. And of course, this is serious burns requiring at least an emergency room visit. We all burn ourselves, you know, on the stove or something like that when we're cooking. Me, you know, every time I use a stove, I end up burning myself. And between 4 and 22% of burns require intensive care unit admissions. So those are obviously quite serious. And those are the ones we get very concerned about. But answer your question, yeah, we, we talk about first, second, third degree burns, the burn experts, which is very interesting when you say, well, who are the physicians who are burn experts in the hospital? Who do we ask, you know, oh, we got a serious burn, who should we consult? It's actually plastic surgery. They're the experts because it's skin, right? Actually, them and dermatologists are the skin experts, but a lot of these patients do need surgery or skin grafts. And so it's often plastic surgery who are the uh, the experts on this. And, you know, people can make fun of plastic surgeons, oh, they're just cosmetic surgery, but they deal with very sick patients and they save people's lives when they're involved in this. So, so an important field of medicine. So, Let's start with the different burn types, but before we do that, maybe we should just talk about how the skin is organized in our body. As we have heard before, the skin is the largest organ in the body. And of course, because of that, and because it covers our whole body, you know, increased risk of injury and, and burns. So we have three layers of the skin. There's the epidermis, which is the outer layer. Underneath that's the dermis, which is the middle layer. That's what contains your blood vessels, hair follicles, sweat glands, uh, nerves. They're all in that lower layer. And then there's the subcutis or deep dermis. That's a deepest layer of collagen and fat cells and contains larger blood vessels and nerves. So now when we go through the different burn degrees, first, second, third degree, you can see how these different layers of skin are affected, okay? So you can start off with having these first degree burns. They're also called superficial burns because they are really just damage to that first layer of skin, the epidermis. So this is what you can get, you know, if you have a bad burn, again, as, as we said with the cooking. So you'll have painful, dry, red skin, doesn't usually blister. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Blistering is, is for the other degrees and it heals within five to 10 days. Then you have these second degree burns. And the reason why the first degree, second degree, third degree is kind of falling out of favor is because they like to be a bit more descriptive. So instead of calling these a second degree burn, we call these either partial thickness burn or which can be superficial or a deep partial thickness burn. So a superficial partial thickness burn, so it's a type of second degree burn, it's the a damage to the epidermis and the upper layers of the dermis. So the upper layer of the middle kind of layer of your skin. So if you got a second degree burn, is it most of the time you're going to the hospital for that and a first degree burn you don't need to? Let's say first degree, you'd, nobody would really need to see a doctor. It depends though, if it's very extensive on your body. So like you could happen if you tipped boiling water on yourself or something like that. And if you, if you get out of that really quickly and you don't have a lot of contact time with the hot object, you might get away with just first degree burns, but obviously if it's covering a large part of your body or a, a child's body especially, then you probably need to go to the emergency room. So these second degree burns, if they're these superficial ones, that's very painful. So the pain will probably also bring you into the hospital. They're wet, weeping. These are the ones that will have clear blisters on top of them. I'm sure we've all had a minor 
or the superficial kind of second degree burn. It heals within two to three weeks. That's a more serious type burn that I think people may have experienced, but it's these latter ones I'm going to talk about that are definitely more serious. So you could have a deep second degree burn or a deep partial thickness burn, same thing. Now you got the epidermis and the deep layers of the dermis. The key with this is when you touch it, you can't feel anything. So it's very dull to touch or you can't feel anything. It'll be pale white, can't have blisters. And if you put pressure on it, it doesn't blanch. So it doesn't turn white when you touch it. There's like no change. And you can even have delayed bleeding because you're not getting a lot of good blood flow in that area. And then healing can take even longer, more than two or three weeks to heal. And then we have the third degree burns. And remember, Jay had second and third degree burns as per his doctor. These are full thickness burns, so damage to all layers of skin, including the subcutaneous fat. So it goes quite down. Again, you'll have no sensitivity to touch. The skin will be dark brown or tan with a leathery feel. It can be look charred, no blisters. So it's so severe, there's no blisters. And you can even have fourth degree burns, which are even more serious. If you have damage to the muscle and skin and bone underneath, you can imagine that's like an extremely serious. Maybe we should have started with the comedy of Jay Leno. I'm starting. I know, I know, I know. And like I said, it's all good because he got treatment and he's better. That's the most thankful thing. It was, I, you know, I was very worried for him for quite a bit when I first heard about this. Well, okay, so let's talk about, you've described the various burns. What kind of treatment can you get for this variety of burns? First degree burns may not require much more than maybe like a polysporin type of cream or something like that. I hope people know this. When you have any sort of burn, the first thing you do is run under cold water or ice just to, to cool off. That will prevent injury, prevent inflammation. But you're right. If it's a minor burn like that, doesn't involve a lot of a body part, then you can probably just do that and it will heal, as we said, in a short period of time. More significant burns, you have to go to the hospital. You can become very sick from them. Obviously, if there's any inhalation burns to your air passages, very serious. Those patients often need to have a breathing tube and be sent to the ICU. But even still, there is a lot of inflammation, fluid imbalance that occurs with burns. And so these patients need to have lots of IV fluids and to be resuscitated. It's quite serious. And they're often in the emergency room in the what we call the resuscitation room. And then they'll call plastic surgery. They'll see them and they often go to the ICU. So just kind of stabilizing people is important. You can imagine pain control is very important as you were talking about before, Ali, with the pain. And then what to do with blisters is a bit unclear, even for physicians. There's no real consensus. But most people say if they're less than six millimeters, you kind of leave them. And if they're larger than six millimeters, you would debride them. So as some would say, pop them and, and get rid of the fluid. But it depends if they're over a joint or restricting your movement, even if they're smaller, you might get rid of them. What's the rationale about, what was that word you just used, debriding them? Yeah, debriding. So it's popping them and cutting away kind of the skin. But if it's there protecting you from the air, which would probably burn your skin underneath, why not? not that's not necessarily what happens with a blister. I know that's what we think the purpose of a blister is, but it's not really. It's just kind of a fluid-filled area of skin. And as I was saying, there's no consensus exactly how to deal with blisters. In general, I would say for people, you shouldn't pop your blisters. And if you're considering doing something like that, maybe talk to your doctor first. If, again, you're at home, it's not that serious, but you have a blister, maybe don't do that. 
the other thing you do is if there's dead tissue with the more serious kinds of burns, you want to debride that. So that's what we do. You cut away these non-viable tissues with forceps or, or scalpels. And Jay Leno had to have that done. In an interview with his physician, which we'll link to, he said, we did have to kind of cut away some of this dead tissue because that can be a um, breeding ground for infection. So you need to get rid of that. And then sometimes you need skin grafts on top of that. And I won't get too much into skin grafts, but there's some types that you can use from your body or other types of skin grafts. So again, we'll leave that aside because that is a bit more complicated, but sometimes you need to do that as well. And then there's this very long healing process as we talked about. He also had this, was he in a hyperbaric chamber or was a hyperbaric therapy that he did? What is that? Yeah, he did. And so it is recommended for the treatment for burns. So hyperbaric therapy is basically, you know, when we're here on, you know, at, at sea level, there is a certain partial pressure of oxygen. So it's the amount of oxygen kind of in the environment. A hyperbaric chamber will increase this partial pressure of oxygen. So you have higher oxygen content in the air you breathe, essentially. So normally what hyperbaric oxygen can be used for is, it's the most commonly used for patients who get the bends. You know the bends? If you're scuba diving and you ascend too rapidly, you know, you're supposed to go various stages of ascent. If you go too quickly, that can be dangerous because of nitrogen. So if you're getting those symptoms of the bends, then you need to be treated in a hyperbaric chamber and the high pressure of oxygen helps to kind of reset things in your blood. Similarly, you can use hyperbaric oxygen for patients who have carbon monoxide poisoning, which often happens in uh, fires. So you can also use that. So it's used for burns. I didn't actually know a lot about this till I heard about it. It's recommended if you have second degree burns over 20% of your body. If you have it over less than 20% of your body, it can still be used, especially if you have burns to your face, neck, hands, fingers, or perineum. You know what your perineum is, Ali? Let's just say your groin. <laughs> So in that whole area, but it has to be given in a specialized center, which knows how to deliver hyperbaric oxygen, should be given six to eight hours post-burn injury with two sessions a day, giving 100% oxygen. And so these are long things. The hyperbaric chamber, you just kind of lie in it, like this doesn't hurt or anything like that. You just have to go there. And I'm not sure if it's because of the amount he had, like over 20%, but more likely it's because his face and neck was involved. And so the goal of it is it helps to minimize swelling. It protects the small blood vessels, enhances blood flow, enhances your immune defenses, improves healing, and prevents scarring. And it's not something for the rich and famous, right? This is not Walt Disney and Han Solo chambers, right? These are... Or whatever Walt Disney has been frozen in. No, yeah. it can be done for any person, as long as you have a burn center with a hyperbaric unit. Normally, you need to do it for 10 to 14 days, and sometimes 20 or 30 sessions total for healing of these partial thickness burns. So like I said, he was a bit less than that. I think he was in the hospital for about a week, but maybe he'll continue that as an outpatient and just come to the hospital for the hyperbaric therapy. They didn't specify that in the news article. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like I said, I didn't really know about it till they announced it, but yeah, I think it's a quite promising therapy. So should we move on to talking about Jay Leno and his career? I think so. And I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. Jay Leno, I think a lot of people would only know him from The Tonight Show and would not really know much about him prior to that and wouldn't have thought of him as any you know, particular comic of any stature until he started making 
tonight's show appearances. But I think my goal anyway here is just to tell you a little bit about the background of this guy and his work ethic and what he's known for. Pretty interesting dude. Did you know Jay Leno's comedy before Tonight Show? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was a huge fan of his before he was on The Tonight Show, just seeing him on other late night things. And I thought he was extremely funny. You know, I'm kind of cutting to the chase a bit here, but I know there's been a lot of criticism about him once he's on The Tonight Show, like kind of hacky type of, type of humor. And, you know, to be charitable, you say every man kind of humor, but he wasn't like that as much early on. I thought he was pretty biting, pretty witty. Usually a clean comic. He's talked about that in various interviews. He just, as as a lot of other comics have said, you know, it's hard to make a dirty joke clean, but you could always make a clean joke dirty. But it's hard to just have a clean set, as you as you well know. But yeah, I definitely knew about him beforehand. And Ali, if it's okay, I was going to suggest we stay away from two of the biggest topics. I mean, we could talk about them a bit, but the two things that everybody knows about Jay Leno, other than being on The Tonight Show, is they talk about his feud, rivalry, the issues with Conan O'Brien, and his love of cars, which we have already talked about today. I just don't know if it's worth talking about that anymore. It's kind of been done to death in the media. Is that okay? You want to censor me? You want to muzzle me? Then we'll do it. I had, yeah, exactly. I just shut a book and throw it in the garbage. No, I have nothing to say on that that hasn't been said already. There's nothing fresh we can talk about there. I wanted to talk more about his background and his upbringing. I think born in New York, but really Boston was his home where he grew up as he was young. These are interesting things in, in my mind. Boston, he's half Italian, half Scottish. A lot of people wouldn't know. The last name Leno is an Italian name. And his father was a boxer, prize fighter. For me, those are very interesting and useful things to know about Jay Leno because he does have that, you know, it's very stereotypical, but it's like, a blue collar Italian, that work ethic, the work ethic on top of that of us, you know, the child of someone who had the discipline to be a boxer. And he talks about that a lot. Like comedy requires a lot of discipline if you're going to be one of the best. It really does. And, you know, there's this great interview he does with Joe Rogan. And whatever you might think about Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan doesn't do a lot of the talking. Jay Leno is full of stories. It's from about 2015. And I think it is a very, very interesting, the stories that Jay Leno comes up are great. And both of them agree that it's kind of ironic that to be one of the best comic and to be at the top, you require a ton of discipline. And yet the field of comedy in general recruits just by its nature, people with no discipline, people who like, you know, didn't do well in school, like can't keep a job down and, you know, like kind of misfits. Comedians are often misfits. So it's a weird mix, but those who find a way to be disciplined are the ones who we now know, the Jerry Seinfelds and the Jay Leno's and the masters of their craft. I heard a story that Jay Leno, when he was first starting off, there wasn't a ton of comedy clubs in Boston. So first of all, he'd perform at places like the Improv, where he also worked with other musical acts and would go on in between them, jazz clubs. This would be like late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, 69 is when he started. Yeah. yeah. He's in a lot of jazz clubs, which he liked because jazz audiences listen. That's what they want to do. They listen to what's going on. Whereas rock audiences, they're like, whatever, you know. <laughs> I like a <laughs> they're vibe. Talking, yeah. So, and I heard he would also pay some of these club owners $50 to let him perform. And he'd be like, I'm going to give you $50. If people laugh and you had a, if they had a good time and you think this was useful and you want me back, you know, then you can give me back the 50 If not, you made 50 bucks and that that's good. And he said he certainly lost money. But not a lot though, 300, but you got to think about 50 bucks in 1969. Yeah. Isn't that like 500 bucks? Isn't that like an obscene amount of money? That's insane. Yeah. 
I don't want to do that today. Jay Leno must laugh about these pay-to-play shows where comedians, you know, in New York, LA is very common. You have to pay five bucks even as the performer to be part. And that's like a lot of comics get very upset about that. He's like, well, let me just put 50 bucks down to just do a set in a place where people didn't want or need to see any comedy. I know that story as well. And that speaks quite highly of his his hustle and his grinding nature. Like he was just like, this is a place with no comedy. I'm going to see if I can get up and do comedy. Not everybody thinks like that, right? People like are looking for others who have paved the way for them. They're looking for avenues that are, you know, make, make things a little easy. This guy is like one of the OG hustlers as far as, you know, living lasting comedian. Where he was in the 70s, again, people don't quite get this. Like he was, you know, there was still Pryor, Carlin, or Robert Klein were probably, you know, ahead of him, those people. But right underneath them, like on their heels, was Jay Leno. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like a contemporary of Richard Pryor. He calls him Richie. He calls him Richie because that's, he knew him as Richie back then. But, you know, he says Richard Pryor was the best comedian he'd ever seen. And he would try as often as possible. I think it was at the comedy store if Richard was doing an hour or whatever it was. 90 minutes, he would always say, I want to go on after Richard. Again, that speaks to his desire to be one of the best. And he said, I'd go after Richard. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, I've got a, an amazing hour of comedy. And then you go after Richard and you're like, oh, I think I got 16 minutes because my great stuff is good. My good stuff is eh, and my eh stuff is awful once you're going after one of the best of the best. But, you know, comedians listen to this show. There's young comedians who listen. That's what you really got to do. You got to set yourself up to be challenged, right? And it's tough. A lot of people like, oh, why would I go to some city where nobody knows me? Or why would I work in some place where people are a totally different age group? That's not my... But the more you constantly challenge yourself, I mean, it, it depends. If you want to be one of the best, that's the only way. But if you're okay being sort of a middle of the road comedian, then don't listen to me. What do I know? You know? Well, you know, it's amazing. And he was a contemporary of Steve Martin. He has a lot of respect for Steve Martin. And he says that Steve Martin is the person who told Johnny Carson to go check out one of his sets. So in terms of, you know, him being invited on The Tonight Show initially, and then of course, we all know he took over The Tonight Show. And so, yeah, he credits Steve Martin for that. Jerry Seinfeld says he learned comedy from watching Jay Leno, like how to be a comedian. He was a mentor to many, and then he was a contemporary and a mentor of some of the best, right? Robin Williams. Ashraf, I think you told me this, that Robin Williams, you can hear his laugh in the audience at Leno's first- Tonight Show. Set on yeah. Tonight Show? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to have to look that up. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, so I think a lot of people will dismiss him again because of The Tonight Show, but it's funny when he first came on The Tonight Show- I can remember this big controversy, of course, that happened, which was that everybody thought it was going to be David Letterman who was going to inherit it, but instead it was Jay Leno. For me, I never actually thought that was going to happen because Johnny had clear guest hosts. Jay Leno was one of them. Gary Shandling was another. And Joan Rivers, yeah, was another one. Joan Rivers kind of fell out of favor with Carson, as is as well known. And Gary Shandling was offered the job, as we talked about on our Gary Shandling episode, and he just thought there was too much going on with his sitcom, as Gary Shandling's show he couldn't do both and he thought i can't do it so it was a tough decision for him but he declined it so it ended up going to jay leno again i wasn't that surprised to me it made sense i thought jay leno was funny when you read about letterman letterman was like he wasn't like counterculture but he was like another level of cool like university college students would not watch the tonight show they would watch the late show 
It was edgier. It was cooler. It was funny, right? It's that edgy aesthetic that once Johnny Carson, and I think we've talked about this in the past, once Johnny Carson went from a 90-minute show and he requested to go to 60 minutes, and he used to do, they used to film five episodes a week, and then they used to have a repeat Saturday night, Best of Carson. So he was like, I don't want to do five nights. I want to do four nights, and I want to do a 60-minute show instead of five nights and a 90. This was a huge thing that happened for show business in general. Because once John, and of course they said yes to Johnny Carson, he was their golden goose, you know, their cash cow. NBC gave him that. And then what happens is this slot opens up after Carson and that's where late night came in. And so you also have a whole new audience, right? These like hippies and counterculture folks and college students, they loved Letterman. They loved the late stuff. And then also because there was no more repeat on Saturday nights, you had the Saturday Night Live slot that opened up, allowing also for edgier, an edgier comedy aesthetic that was not part of the Tonight Show aesthetic, right? That was much more mainstream, family-friendly, even though it was kind of later. But I agree. And if you now look at things with the eye of hindsight, as you're saying, Letterman's comedy is not really that 11.30. I know he got 11.30 show, obviously. He got the late show, but it's not the same type of comedy. And neither was Conan O'Brien. I know we said we weren't going to talk about him, but it's not the same as The Tonight Show. And I can imagine the people who tune into The Tonight Show not being as enamored. Well, as you said, Asif, Jay Leno felt like he wouldn't be great Tonight Show material either. And what did he do? He changed his material a little bit. He changed who he was and became a little bit more, as you say, everyman and a little bit, you know, what's that word? There's a word from hospitals when things are washed and clean. Sterile is the word I'm looking for. Slightly sterile compared to what his style was. But I learned why people didn't know a lot about Leno. I just learned this recently. The reason people don't know Leno, and unless they have been you know, fans like you and I and exposed him, people didn't really know a lot about him. He has no comedy special. You know about that? And you know why he has no comedy specials? He doesn't want to give away his material. So Joe Rogan was like, just baffled. He's like, no, these, these comedy specials. He says, I disagree with the comedy special. Why are you giving away an hour of your material? You give away an hour of your material, considers that very precious, even though he probably has at his stage of his career, you know, eight to 10 hours of material in that vicinity. But he's like, I don't know. I'm very careful to give everybody something different. I don't want people to be like, oh, we already heard that. We already heard this. And yeah, we saw you last year and it's the same material. And so he's very particular about it, very guarded about it. And you think that's insane. But then again, he has one of the largest car collections in the world. He's made a lot of money for himself. He's very successful. And he also had this other thing, this work ethic about, as part of his work ethic, this idea that he was never going to spend his Tonight Show money. And in the documentary Seinfeld, I think it was in Seinfeld, somebody was like, dude, you still think like that? He goes, you, know, you never know in this business. You never know what's going to happen. And they're like, what, what do you think is going to happen to you? Right? What do you think? He's like, I don't know. I just, I never spend it. I put it all aside. So he wouldn't touch his Tonight Show money. And on any off nights, he'd be at comedy clubs. He would be doing a little tour and never stopped working. So he is regarded as one of these guys who was like, he would do whatever it took to outlast his competition. And so it's an interesting, this is what people talk about the two Jay Leno's, right? Because when you see Jay Leno on The Tonight Show, jaywalking, he's out there, he's talking to people, he's like, he's every man, as you said, but he's also like a shark. He's a survivor, he's a fighter. That's why I think that Boston, Italian, Scottish, father is a boxer. I think this is like, you know, if I'm a psychologist, I don't even need to know anymore. I'm thinking all those things definitely shape a Jay Leno. And there's two things 
that I have to mention about this guy. Cause right now it's been nothing but praise for me for Jay Leno. I think his, you know, he had this sort of what's been referred to as like a, this non elitist vibe, very accessible to the masses and that worked very well. But the other side of Jay Leno is he is a guy who has secretly listened to meetings about him in one time it was in a closet in 92 before, you know, when it was like, who's going to get the tonight show that period you were just talking about in 1992. And this is chronicled in a book called The Late Shift, which has since become a TV show as well. It was a book written by Bill Carter originally. He was in a closet. He was, I mean, it was a very large closet. It wasn't a broom closet or something, but it was a very large closet in some kind of a boardroom or office listening to a call between NBC execs. And he learned who likes him, who doesn't like him. I don't know what he did with that information, but he knew what to do with it. And he was listening to them talk about him, right? Another time. Now, this is 2008, which is the Conan-Leno time, which we said we wouldn't talk about. But, you know, he was going to be forced into retirement. That's what was happening. That's why all the Conan fans were so upset, because he was supposed to be forced. He came in disguise. Do you know that he came in disguise to the NBC press conference? He had a bald wig on, like a bald cap, fake glasses, mustache, all this. And he was asking questions. He was asking one of his bosses so when is Jay Leno's last date and will he be continued to be paid even though you forced him out of like stuff like this. So it's like this, it's partly comical and partly also like some really, I mean, I don't know, you know, he's a survivor, he's a survivor and he's a fighter, but at the same time, there's this weird grossness and pettiness about it. I find that, I don't know. There is some neuroses there, right? The same thing that strives for the, him to work so hard. If you're telling me he didn't use any of his Tonight Show money, how rich is this guy? Because he owns, as we said, 200 plus vintage cars, multi-million dollar collection. And he, of course, he lives a nice life with his wife. He doesn't have any kids, but I don't know. That That is, yeah, I, I don't know. There's some neuroses. What do you think about this? I got two stories for you there, Ali, seemingly about Jay Leno. So one in a, in about 0708, same time, there was a Writers Guild of America strike. A lot of people may remember that. So he was accused of violating the Writers Guild Association guidelines because he wrote his own monologue for The Tonight Show. So he actually said, no, I made a deal, a private deal with the Writers Guild of America, and we had a secret agreement which allowed me to do that. And they were like, no, we didn't agree to end meeting. So I don't know what's true and what's not. Is he being slimy or not? But that was a controversy. Another one is also very interesting. So I didn't know this at all. In the 2005 trial of Michael Jackson, he was allegedly molested some children. Lena was one of the few celebrities who was called as a defense witness. So did you know about any of this? I never heard of this connection at all. So he had a phone call with the accuser. So the accuser was this, I think he was about 13 or so at the time. He called Leno up out of the blue, not in association with anything to do with the Michael Jackson thing. And Jay Leno does a lot of charity work. He does make-a-wish things. And obviously, if there's sick children or adults who want to meet with him, he's very nice about that and, and does that out of the goodness of his own heart. So it's not an unusual thing for him to take a phone call like this. So he was chatting with with this child about it. And the child, I guess, made Leno suspicious because he said, you're my hero. You're my hero, Mr. Leno. And Jay Leno said, essentially, to quote him, I'm not Batman. He said that seemed a little unusual for a teenage boy to idolize a comedian in his 50s. And he says it's suspicious when a young person is overly effusive. It just didn't click with me. 
Then it's a bit controversial about what happened, whether he called the police and reported this, which is a bit of an unusual thing. That's what the police kind of claimed. But Leno was like, no, that's not what happened. Later on, when this person was a subject of interest with this whole Michael Jackson case, the police contacted him and asked him, and then he kind of gave this deposition. The craziest part about this whole story is he was not allowed, the court said, to do any jokes about the Michael Jackson case because he was going to be called as a witness. So he didn't like that. So what he did was he would still write the jokes, him and his writing team, and then he'd have other comedians come in for the monologue just for that short section to do the Michael Jackson jokes. So Roseanne Barr, Drew Carey, Brad Garrett, and Dennis Miller all came in and did that. And then finally, he continued arguing with the courts. They allowed him to do the monologue as long as he didn't discuss his testimony in his monologue. And to celebrate that, he did a full monologue, whatever, 14 minutes, just on the Michael Jackson trial. But yeah, you know, this is the thing that's interesting. I find it hard to lend any credibility to some of the things he says. Like, he also, you know, in the 1979 writer's strike at the comedy store, you know, somebody tried to drive through the picket line and I guess they were kind of about to brush Jay Leno. And I think he flew onto the ground and acted hurt. You know, and Tom Dreesen tells the story that he went over to Jay. Jay, are you okay? And Jay winked at him like he pretended he was like milking it. So he has that like sneaky nature. So with that plus the closet plus the fake press. And then when you were talking about like, you know, the 2007, 2008 Writers Guild, did he have an agreement or not? You're like, well, the guy who's been hiding in closets and faking accidents. I mean, you know, you want to believe a guy, but there's bad precedents here. I guess given all that, we've talked about the good and the bad. And obviously, again, we're happy that Jay Leno is doing well and recovering. Obviously, if things had gone a different way, we might just be effusive in our praise. But what is his legacy then for stand-up comedy? This is an interesting question. I think people change over time. If you look at, we mentioned Richard Pryor. George Carlin, Joan Rivers, when they started doing comedy, all three of them were completely different personas, completely different. Richard Pryor in a black suit and tie, George Carlin buttoned up, very, very, you know, buttoned up suit, three-piece suit, Joan Rivers, extremely prim and proper. And all three of them transformed, shed that identity and became, you know, more, more true versions of themselves. This feels like the flip of that. This feels like to become a host of a late night show, he was willing to take any little bit of edge that he had. And as you said, he wasn't clean comic, but he was like, he would go places. He would, he would talk about not scandalous stuff maybe, but at least, you know, he would make fun of things. He could make fun of anything because you're a stand-up comic. But once you are an NBC employee, you have to walk a very careful line. You know, NBC's a sponsor of this or something that somebody's a sponsor on NBC advertiser, you can't make fun. So once you become that person, there's certain things you have to change about yourself. The thing is, and I, I read this in a Vanity Fair article, it's like Jay Leto felt more at home talking to you know, ding dong LA pedestrians during jaywalking segments than he did talking to some celebrity on the couch. He wasn't particularly great at interview. He would stick to like the script and, you know, just, you know, hand on his, on his face, you know, finger on his chin, just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It was just like about getting through it. So you kind of wonder like, why did you do it? Like, why did you need to yeah, is I mean, if it's just money, and you're not even using that money, for God's sake. We just said he's putting it all away. So it wasn't financial. He doesn't have a particular love for showbiz. 
where he's like, this is amazing. I can't believe, you know, Kate Blanchett is on the show tonight. That's not who he is. So I don't, I don't understand. There's a little bit of confusion about why he made the choices he did. It might just sort of been an organic thing. He was, Johnny had him come. He would do a lot of sets on the Tonight Show. Then he gets the offer to, hey, why don't you sit down? Then he gets the offer to host it. But it never felt like it was the greatest fit. I think to honor Jay Leno's career, you're best off looking at what sets he has done. And as we say, not there's not too many. There's no comedy specials, but there's plenty of sets. He's in late night sets and being part of other comedy specials. Maybe, you know, what do you call comic relief stuff? You might find some Jay Leno there and just see what a machine he was. He was a comedy machine. He was fast and he was, it's like this classic Boston style. You don't let up. You just like, bam, bam, bam. It's like a, the barrage of jokes. He's quite a masterful joke writer. So if you can find a way in your heart to erase the many years of him hosting The Tonight Show, unless you liked it. If you liked it, that's great. Many people did. You know, we didn't mention this here, Asif. He was the leader in the ratings by a landslide. People always thought, because Letterman and Leno were like, you know, these sort of like unspoken competitors, like Letterman might take over Leno, so they have similar ratings. Not at all. Letterman was second in second but way far behind. It was Leno at the top, Letterman way below, and then everybody else a little bit below Letterman. That's how I, it was explained to me. So he has many, many fans out there. He reached out to Middle America. That was the mandate that was probably put forward for him. And he did it happily. And it just wasn't my thing. It wasn't my thing. Jaywalking wasn't the worst, but it also, it's like, you're making the city of LA look very stupid night after night. I mean, give these people a break. But it wasn't, you know, I don't know. I think his stand-up is something to be respected and, and explored. I'll say that. Well, that's our show for today. Let us know what you thought about this show. We talked about the treatment of burns and how we diagnose them. And then we talked about Jay Leno's life and career. Reach out to us, drvcomedian at gmail.com. We're also on social media, drvcomedian on Twitter for as long as Twitter is around and doesn't implode on itself. Maybe we'll be on Mastodon. Who knows? But check us on Instagram, Facebook. We are everywhere. Tell a friend about the podcast. We always like to get new listeners. We've gotten some new listeners. Our Gritty Nurse interview from a few weeks ago. People really like that. I think we got some new listeners and followers with that, but please tell your friends about it. Yeah. If you're a new listener, take a look at our catalog. We've had some phenomenal guests lately. Very, very happy to have some great guests of a certain level of notoriety. We're lucky enough that they're interested in this podcast and coming on and chatting with us. So yeah, go down that rabbit hole and, and have a good time. And Jay Leno did not do a lot of comedy specials, but... Somebody has a comedy one-hour show that's coming up on tour across Canada. Do you want to talk about that, Ali? Yeah, I'll tell you this. I also accuses me of being very bad at sharing what I'm working on. So many of you will know, but as we say, we have new listeners. I have a book with Simon & Schuster that came out in September called Is There Bacon in Heaven? The book's doing very well. I'm very grateful for that. If you are looking for a Christmas gift, it's a good one. It's a good one. I stand behind that one. If you are Ontario-based, province of Ontario in Canada, or if you are in Western Canada, I am touring my next show called Does This Taste Funny? 10 cities in Ontario and a number of, you know, about 12 cities from the prairies to the west in March and April. So Does This Taste Funny? I'll have more dates up for the entire tour. 
on my website, but Ontario for now, all those tickets are available and you can get those again. Christmas gift, a little bit of relaxation and laughter in the month of January when we're in a deep freeze and it should be a very, very good time. So instead of ho, 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 it will be hi, hi, hi. No. Okay. Huh? We're in sync. Yes. Ha, ha, ha is what it'll be. You can't. That's the Just just for Laughs website. We're, now we're stealing from Just for Laughs. You can't do that. Oh, is that what they do? Well, it's ha, ha, ha dot com even. Yeah, I know. But they can't trademark ha, 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 did they? They can't. They can't. I won't. I won't stand for it. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Don't listen to Ali's medical advice. Medical issues, we talk about it for your interest and information only. And they are definitely not medical advice for you. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. See ya.